We're doing a series just now on the life and character of Elijah. So let's just read the passage of scripture where we're at today. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17 and we'll begin at uh, verse 7 to the end of the chapter. 1 Kings 17 verse 7 to the end of the chapter. Some time later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. And so he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. And for the jar of flour was, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Amen. And God will bless, I'm sure, his own precious word to all our hearts. Let's just bow in a moment's prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Loving God, we want to thank you that you've called us together for such a time as this. And we bless you, Lord, for the fellowship here and all that it means to those of us who come here on a regular basis. And we pray that you'll bring others into the fellowship who need to know about you, Lord, who need to be instructed in the way of the Lord. And we ask you, Lord, for your guiding hand to be with the fellowship as we celebrate this coming Saturday, the first year of the coffee shop opening. And make that a splendid time, a precious time, with your presence very much in the midst. And we pray, Lord, for those here who may be struggling with various issues in family life. 
And we thank you that you understand what we're going through. And we pray that even the word for today would be helpful to all such. Pray for those who are struggling with health issues, that you would just come with your healing power, Lord, and you would sustain us through the difficult times that we sometimes go through physically. And we ask you, loving God, to give us some hope and some real word from you that will encourage our hearts in the midst of health difficulties. And we just pray, Lord, for our own spiritual needs. You know, sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down. Sometimes we're three steps ahead and one step behind. Lord, we just pray for that walk in step with you, our Lord, that we might follow you more faithfully and love you more dearly. So we pray your blessing on your word just now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All those of you who were here last week for the first of our uh, talks on uh, Elijah, you might remember that we were thinking about this man of God. He just sort of breezes in, don't know much about his, uh, his life. But one of the things that we do learn from Hebrews is that whatever power you see in Elijah, whatever miracles God was able to do through this man, the word of God tells us he was a man of like passions just as we are. It's good to know that, isn't it? That God can take up somebody and use them in a tremendous way. I, just, uh, I meant to say to the children, young folks, that in the story of William Carey, some officer tried to belittle Carey. And said to Kerry, you are just a shoemaker. Uh, and Kerry said, no, I'm sorry, you got that wrong. I'm just a shoe mender. And if the Lord can use me, he said to this officer, he can use anyone. I'm not a shoemaker. I'm just a shoe mender, he said to this officer. And it's good that Elijah is that kind of person. That he sees God working in a tremendous way in his life. And he's exalting God. He's got a great God. And if you don't understand the God of Elijah, you won't understand what God was able to do through this servant of his, this man of God of the Bible, this prophet that the Bible speaks about. And last Sunday we were talking about it in terms of uh, three things. That there was the boldness that we saw in Elijah that he was able to really stand before this wicked king Ahab with his equally and maybe even more so wicked wife Jezebel. And we spoke also about the obedience of Elijah. That he was willing to obey God and go to that brook there of Kerith and find refreshment. And then we saw his dependence upon God. God said, I'll appoint the, the ravens to feed you. And there came a time of real dependence upon God. Because the Bible says the brook, the river, dried up. It really dried up. And to depend more and more upon God. But in verse 8 of that chapter, you've got your Bibles with you and you want to keep it open, that's fine. Because in verse 8, we read that the word of the Lord comes to Elijah again. I don't know what Elijah was praying at this particular time. Perhaps he was praying, Lord, just get me back there to the addressing the wickedness of the nation and the wickedness of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Just get me back into that situation of confrontation because we really didn't shy away from that in First Kings 18 and Mount Carmel. We're coming to that soon. But uh, perhaps he was wanting to get on with the work. And God keeps telling them to do things away from the, the king and his wife. 
God seems to hide this. Remember we said last week, there's two things that Elijah had to do. One was, God said, I want you to hide yourself in verse 3 of First Kings chapter 17. When you come to verse Kings 18, I want you to show yourself. And we spoke last week about the importance of hiding ourselves in that secret place and hearing from God the things that he wants to say to us. And so we find here in this uh, chapter here that God begins to speak to Elijah about going somewhere else. He's already told them to go to this brook Kerith for refreshment and the brook dries up. And then he tells them to go to Zarephath. Now it's very interesting that uh, the name Zarephath means refining. It's a place where metals were refined by fire. And that's going to be our theme for today. We're going to speak about the place of refining. The refining of our faith in God. The place of faith refining. And here is Elijah being told to go to this place that a widow would actually feed him this time. Not the ravens, but a widow. Well, let's look together at what happened at Zarephath that made it a place of refining. And in both Elijah and the widow's case, first of all, it was a place of real testing. It was a place of real testing. Not only had Elijah's brook dried up, but he discovered this poor woman, according to the word of God in 1 Kings 17, was about to make her last meal for her to survive with the sun before they were going to die because there was no food left. He discovered that was the widow that he stopped at. Plus the fact that Zarephath was 75 miles away from the brook Cherith. Now how would you like to be told by God of taking you to the brook, the ravens are going to feed you, the brook dries up, and then God said, I want you to travel 75 miles across desert, if you please. That was some undertaking, wasn't it? That's like going from Glasgow to Oban. I think it's 80 miles to Oban from Glasgow. Imagine walking all that way. And here was God saying, and what is so interesting about this assignment to Zarephath, another hiding if you like, it was Jezebel's country it was right in the area of Sidon and her father, Jezebel's father was the king of the Sidonians and here is God saying to Elijah I want you to go to Zarephath in the area of Sidon. And that is the, the king who's the father of Jezebel into the very headquarters of Baal worship. Can you believe that? That God is saying to his servant, I want you to go right into the very headquarters of Baal worship. That's some undertaking. Some word that was coming from. What a time of testing it must have been for Elijah to go into that area. 70 miles across desert to the very centre of Baal worship to find a woman who was about to cook her last meal. And perhaps you may be asked the question, could any good ever come out of this sort of experience? What did, uh, what did Elijah have to hold on to? Well, you'll find it there in verse, uh, verses 8 and 9 of 1 Kings 17. You will see he had the promise of God that a woman would feed him. 
And we need to note that the word of the Lord came to him in 1 Kings 17 and verse 2 and 1 Kings 18 and verse 1. That was all that Elijah had to hold on to. The promise of God that the Lord would feed him through this widow. And what does that say to us? I believe it's saying to us that although the refining of faith means going through the fire of testing, it's not a refining process without a word from the Lord. It's not a refining process without a word from the Lord. In other words, God continues to speak as we go through the refining fire. God has a word for Elijah. He also has a word for this widow that you'll see there in 1 Kings 17 and verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. What we need to do today is the assurance That heaven is not going to be like brass when we go through that refining testing time. Eileen had constantly to open up God's word for me during that time of my illness. And there's a verse in this psalm, I can't remember what psalm it was, what was it? 92 or something? 90 something. And it's, the verse says, this is not unto death. <laughs> because I had myself away, you know, and I was, I was finished. And, and the Lord just sort of raised us up. And this verse, I mean, we just keep reading it to me. Reading it, the verse of scripture. There was a word from the Lord for, for that time of testing that I was going through at that time. And I believe that's true for all of us. That it is a word from the Lord. And we need to be able to ask that same question that King Zedekiah, who was the last king of Israel or Judah, was able to say to Jeremiah, is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah was able to say to him, yes there is. There is a word from the Lord. It wasn't the kind of word from the Lord that Zedekiah wanted to hear, but there was a word from the Lord. And I'm sure that uh, there were lessons that Elijah had to learn. He needed to hear from the Lord. And maybe the thing that God was saying to Elijah was, be patient, Elijah. One step at a time, because maybe he was anxious to get into the work. Here's God saying, I want you to go away and hide yourself in this brook, and the brook dries up. I want you to go 75 miles into the very heartland of Baal, and I want a widow to feed you. And the widow that he finds is just about to cook her last meal. What did God say to this man of God? Elijah, you'll need, to, you'll need to wait on my time. You'll need to be patient. One step at a time. I wonder how often God has to say to that when we're terribly impatient about where we want to go and what we want to do. And, and there's all these kind of restrictions coming along our way. Are we prepared for the fire of testing? And are, to, are we listening to the specific word? That the Lord has for us. It's interesting as I started preparing this. I was through at my mother-in-law's here for a few days. And I was starting to think about this message. And I was reading the UCB notes. It was Wednesday. I started preparing this. And on Wednesday. I don't know if you've got UCB notes. And if you use them. I don't know if you use them or not. I use them. And on Wednesday. Guess what it was about? The trial of faith. 
quite amazing. I was thinking about this. And the verse for that day was Psalm 66, verses 10 to 12. And here's what Psalm 66, 10 to 12 says. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison. You laid burdens on their backs. That's what the psalmist feels. You let men ride over their heads. We went through fire and water. And this is what it says. Listen to it. You need to underline this. But you brought us to a place of abundance. Isn't that fantastic? I'm thinking about this fire of testing. Open up my notes for the day. And, and that's exactly what it's about. And the writer for that ticket is this way. You tested us, refined us like silver, and you brought us to a place of abundance. Is that not fantastic? I know there's some verses a wee bit difficult in there about God putting burdens on our back and making things difficult for us. And here was the comment for the day from the writer. I think it's a chap Gas that writes these. It says, Tests of faith are opportunities to surrender something of value to God even when we have the right not to. In a test of faith you'll feel assaulted and stretched by circumstances yet not distant from God. Tried by them but not judged or guilty. A test of faith doesn't really test anything unless it pushes you beyond the last test. Past what you have already proven. If you try to run or pull back each time you reach what seems like your limit, you'll never know how much you can trust God or how much he can trust you. The fire that refined us like silver can come as a job loss, a, re a relationship loss, a good health loss or a reputation loss. But with God, the end result is never in doubt. In God's kingdom it works like this. Faith tested, character refined, abundance given. I like that. I like that. That was the thought for the day last Wednesday in UCB. Faith tested, character refined, abundance given. I found that article so helpful. I just heard on the radio, when I go to Kirky, I put the radio on, Revival Radio, and it's usually Keswick, and this guy's speaking, guess what he was speaking about? The trial of faith. <laughs> I mean, what's trying to say something today? He was talking about James, the beginning of James, and talks about trial. And he says, Christians should be like a tea bag. This doesn't apply to my wife and myself, by the way. <laughs> Christians should be like a tea bag. They only come to full strength when they go in the hot water. <laughs> well, our tea bags hardly see hot water. <laughs> But there's something else. Not only do Elijah and this widow have a time of testing, the fire of testing, but I want you to see there's a time of proving you. That's our second topic. There's a time of proving. If there's a fire of testing to go through, I do believe there's also such a thing as a fire of blessing. Fire is not only used to burn up the dross and reveal the pure metal. That word, remember that word, Zarephath, means refining, refining of the crucible, refining of metal. It's also used fire to kindle a flame. It's used to kindle a flame. As I look at the, my Bible, I see that God is not content just with a purifying fire. For some Christians, that's the only fire that they can think about. God is consuming me and he's burning up the dross and they'll look terribly dull. And, but God wants to kindle a flame in their hearts. There's a kindling fire. 
And I'm sure that as Elijah and the widow witnessed this miracle of unfailing provisions, there must have been a fire kindled in their hearts. That the flour jar wasn't going to run out. The oil wasn't going to run out. I'm so glad at the time of testing we can prove the Lord and we can know something of his mighty power and blessing. How can faith grow if it never leads us into blessing? What kind of a faith is it if it never has a, a tent of meeting? I just love that part in the story of Moses. Don't you love that part where the tabernacle is all set out and all the tribes are round about the tabernacle and the, all the folks are in their tents and, and somebody says it's, it's Moses' time again. And everybody stands at the, 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 the door of the tent. And there's Moses. And he's making his way along the path. And the kids might be saying to mum and dad, where's Moses going? He's going to the tent of meeting. He's going to, to meet with God. That's where God speaks to Moses. That's where God does tremendous things with this man's life. And everybody's sort of standing there. And Moses makes his way into that tent. I'm sure there's a, there's a consuming fire in that tent as God burns up any draws. You know this? When Moses comes out, his face was shining. It was a glow. Not only was it a consuming fire, God speaking to Moses about the sin of the people of Israel, but he was, he was kindling a light and a fire in his heart and the people were almost afraid to look at him because he had met with the Lord that's the kind of thing that God wants to do for, for your life and mine the faith refining fire is not always a consuming fire but a kindling fire somebody said this that when the fire of God consumes the dross and leaves the shining metal the result is never meant to be ornaments it's never meant to be ornaments. The result is vessels to be used. And if we're just content with the fire that burns up the dross, then that's all we're going to be, just ornaments. But anyway, God's vessels can be filled and used. 1 Kings 17, 15-16 was the proving of the Lord. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the women in her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I love that verse that's quoted by Jesus. It's quoted from the Isaiah. But Jesus speaks it in Matthew twelve twenty. A bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not soft stuff out. Till he leads justice to victory. And there might just have been a, a tiny flicker in your life. Just a flicker of a flame. And, and the Lord says, I'm not going to snuff that out. I'm going to fan it into flame. I believe that's what the Lord wants to do in your life and mine. To kindle a flame in the sacred altar of our hearts. As the hymn writer has it. I don't believe the Lord means the trials of faith to rob us of the blessings of faith. Isn't that true? I don't believe the Lord means the trials of faith to rob us of the blessings of faith. I tell you, a fire of testing, a fire of proving, and then finally, in verses 17 to 24, we've got here a fire of suffering. Now I know that we could say that this last section is a bit like the fire of trial, but the reason I want to sort of single this out here is because the outcome was quite different from the first miracle of the provisions that wouldn't fail. Now we're not told about any suffering on the part of the widow's son except that he became ill. 
And his illness was so severe that the Bible says there was no breath left in him. And it does seem that he had died. We're not told how long the son was ill, but we can imagine the anguish in the mother's heart. She'd already lost her husband. And he was a son who had taken ill and he had eventually died. And she wondered, is this a, a visitation to my life of judgment from God because of my sin? Have you, Elijah, come into my house to bring judgment upon my life? Is that the reason that you're here? How difficult it is sometimes to pinpoint, as we sometimes want to do, the reason for the suffering of those who deserve better. But at the same time, we are conscious of the fact that the wise man who built his house on the rock had to go through the same storms as the foolish man who built his house on the sand. But the result was entirely different. The result was entirely different. The difficult question we need to ask is this, is it possible that a positive side to suffering, is there something that God needs to teach me that I will not learn in any other way? What do, you, what do we learn about this widow? We learn that up until that point of the reviving of her son, she didn't really believe that Elijah was a man of God. She didn't really believe that. Well, she mentions the name. And this doubt and unbelief hadn't come out on the first miracle of the provisions that did not fail. And maybe the widow was able to rejoice with Elijah when the flour stayed filled in the jar and the oil just wouldn't run out. Maybe she rejoiced in that supply, but she had this doubt. Are you really a man of God? And it isn't until her son is revived that she says in the last verse, look at the last verse in verse 24 of that chapter. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. It seems that up until that time she wasn't really sure. There were doubts to be dealt with. There were fears that she had in her life. And somehow through this reviving of her son, that was dealt with. You know, folks, even when the outcome is not like this widow's in terms of the son being revived, we still can prove the Lord in times of suffering. It's difficult, it's a blow to us. And some people through that time of suffering have said, I thought I believed, but now I know I believe. I've learned what it is to trust God more in the time of suffering than before. And sometimes the outcome is not like this. I think of that lovely hymn that we used to sing years ago. When peace like a river attendeth my soul. When sorrow like sea billows roll. It's well. It's well with my soul. That hymn would never have been written by Mr. Stafford had his wife and the four children not been tragically lost in a boat. I think it was going to Australia. The whole family were wiped out. And that hymn came out of that terrible experience of loss of his wife and his four kids. And so sometimes it doesn't work out like this widow having her son revived and brought back to him. But there are folks who have written hymns and, and told us things and, and taken us through experiences of their lives. Whether it's Johnny Erickson or, or somebody like that who's paralysed from the neck down. And it's people who have come through these experiences have enriched their lives because they felt that God was saying something positive through them. God was going to use them in a way they could never have been used before. Not all find suffering and bereavement leading to a positive outcome. 
I remember going to this man in the Vale of Leaven Hospital in my first church. I, I was visiting somebody in, in, the, in the hospital from the church in Alexandria. And as I was just going away from this man, I noticed this other man in the bed. And he was the local councillor in the area. And I knew him. And I, I went up to him and I said, Oh, I'm sorry to see you're in the hospital. I said, uh, uh, what, what brings you here? And you could see the, the bitterness in his face. And he just threw back the covers. And he pointed to the side. Couldn't speak. And his side was paralysed. I knew exactly what had happened. What do you say to somebody who's feeling angry and, and bitter? And there he is lying there, can't speak. And there's this paralysis down the side. And Oh, I said, you know, I said, would, would you let me pray for you? I want to pray for you. And I said, you know, I've visited people in this kind of circumstance. And I said, over time, things have come back. I said, don't, don't lose hope. So I prayed for him and I visited him a couple of times after that. And, and one of the great things that happened in Alexandria was when I was leaving, I got a, a letter from this man who had got his speech back. He was able to walk around with a walking stick. And in this letter it said, I want to thank you for, for coming to my bedside. He said, I, I never knew how, I, I never appreciated prayer in that way. You, you weren't my minister, but I want to thank you for coming along. And I wish you well in your new pastorate. That was just lovely. It wasn't a Christian as far as I know. But you know, it was just so wonderful. that In the, in the midst of that anger and that bitterness... He was able to come to a place of appreciating the prayer of someone else. And sometimes when we go through these experiences, there's a, there's a fire of suffering that brings us to that place. Now I know that you are a man of God. Now I know that the word of God that you're speaking is true. And sometimes God takes us into situations that we would rather do without. Just to show us the truth of his word. Just to show us that he can actually take us through. You know when it comes to the, the book of Job. You know when he gets to the place. You know how many chapters before he says. I know that my redeemer lives. Nineteen chapters. That's how long it takes for Job to get to the place. I know that my redeemer lives. That in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed. Yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. That took 19 chapters friends. A lot of things happened in Job's life. Before he got to that place. Perhaps you have been to Kerith, the place of refreshing. Have you been to Zarephath, the place of refining? The refining fire of testing. Going through the fire of testing. As we have been thinking, all that testing time doesn't just always mean illness. There's many other things that try, are trials of our faith. Going through the fire of testing. Going through the fire of proving God. Not just the, the fire that consumes the dross and reveals the, the glamour, the, um, the vessel, but the fire that kindles the sacred flame on the mean altar of her heart. And the fire of suffering. Dispelling the doubts perhaps. Overcoming the fears. I know that you're a man of God, said the widow. I know that my Redeemer lives, said Job. Zarephath. The place 
of refining. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you that uh, you take us to different places. And we're not all at the same place at the same time. But whatever the place might be, a place of refreshing or a place of refining, Lord, will you, you deal with us, especially those areas of doubt we're doubting you perhaps regarding going through an circumstance or an experience. But help us to come to that place and know that the word of God is true. I know that my Redeemer lives. Take us to that place and help us to move on from there. And to know that you are with us. Whatever we are going through at this moment, you are with us. You haven't deserted us and you're not taking us through that trial of refining without a word from yourself. Show us that word. Teach us that word. And may it remain with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.